0: Xbox on welcome to Xbox on the podcast with one host about one console the Xbox one I'm said host Jesse DeRosa and on today's episode we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 13th 2020 including Phil Spencer speaks up about Xbox's role in Japan Anthem is getting a major overhaul Activision is bringing back a dormant IP and more Let's start off this week as we have been doing every week for the past month or two where we go over some comments, feedback, questions, whatever from last week's episode. And this week I was actually really surprised how much engagement that last week's episode got And I guess it was just because I got I went on an emotional tirade about the coalition in 343, but uh, nonetheless, I'm glad that it elicited some feedback, and I'm really grateful to all of you who replied. So first off, let's start with Tony Trey. This is your first time responding or or commenting to the show. And so first of all, thank you so much for commenting and welcome aboard the show. Uh, Your comment read, love the show. I usually listen to it on Stitcher. Also, I like your music choices as well. Would you mind leaving a title and artist of the song you play so we can download or listen to? I'm asking because I I really like the song at the end of this, this podcast. So I guess that's not really like about the discourse or the discussion of last week's show, uh, but it's more just a, a general comment and, and a nice little uh, feedback some nice feedback as well as actually a request about uh, the music I play at the show. So to get into that real quick, just as a tangent for all of you who may have inquired about the music that I play at the end of every episode, that's that's actually all done by my buddy Eric Hudson, uh, who does his own music project on YouTube and SoundCloud. Um, if you're interested in listening to his music, you can find him on YouTube or SoundCloud at BB Murder Case, like the letter B, the letter B again and then Murder Case. It's an anime reference that I don't get because I'm not a big nerd like he is, but if you're interested in that sort of thing, absolutely check him out on YouTube or SoundCloud. He makes some fantastic music. As for the specific song I played last week, I'd love to give you a title, but I actually don't have one. Uh, My friend Eric just sent me a massive Google download list of like tons of untitled songs he's written to be plugged in at the end of every episode. So every episode, I just plug a different track in and they're just tracks one through whatever. So these aren't the songs you'll probably find on the SoundCloud or YouTube. So if I could, I'd give you a specific song title, but unfortunately, I just don't have it. With that said, however, please go and check him out on SoundCloud if you'd like to listen to some more of his music. Thank you so much for commenting and hopefully we'll hear from you more in the future. Our next comment is more in regards to actual last week's conversation. This is about our, my like I alluded to earlier, my big tirade regarding the coalition and the departure of Rod Ferguson from The Coalition. My brother comments and says in regards to all that, I think you're probably right about The Coalition 343 looking dated in the eyes of the public. I think that is part of why Microsoft has been buying up developers. The thing is Sony lets franchises die in order to grant new creative freedom. Microsoft won't do that. They want to add to their portfolio without giving anything away. To be honest though, a world without Halo would be a worse place. So yes, yes and yes. I agree with all this, especially the part about no Halo being making for a worse world. But yeah, this is I think this is just a summation of kind of what I was trying to get to last week, which is that you know Sony really exceeds by you know get making something really great. You know you have something like Uncharted or or like um, Sucker Punches, Infamous, and they make a couple great games in that franchise, and everyone's really high on them, and then they just stop. They get to a good stopping place and they just stop on a great note, and it leaves everyone wanting more, which is a really good place to leave audiences. And then they just move on to a new project. Whereas, you know, we're in a different place where, like the diehard fans like me of Halo, are happy to see Halo come time and time again. But a lot of more casual audience audiences, you know, they were they were satisfied after Halo Three. And if you if you had just stopped at Halo Three like Bungie did, and you just said that's it, no more Halo, and then you went away for ten or fifteen years, people would go nuts for Halo. I, I promise you, if 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 Halo 3 ended and then you never got Reach or ODST or or 4 or 5 or anything after that, if it was just Halo 3 and then a hard shutoff, I, I think Halo would be in a, a Half-Life kind of situation. Half-Life the game, not Half-Life the biology term, where people would just be like, absolutely dying for a new Halo game to the point where people are like, we're never going to get another Halo game. Halo has gone. It was the greatest thing ever. But oh, man, what a perfect trilogy. And people would just think so highly of that. But because they kept going with Halo, you got this thing where, you know, the new audience doesn't like what the new studio is doing with the franchise. And it's like Halo now looks dated because you never gave it a really lengthy break. And I get all that. But yeah, for people like me and apparently my brother as well, the world is better off with Halo. But in in the in the perception of the general public maybe not so much the Halo diehards you know Halo it's it's like Star Wars Star Wars really benefited from these major gaps between between trilogies where people were just so fervent for more Star Wars because we went from what 1983 to 1999 without a Star Wars movie that's insane it's a massive gap and it just made people so excited for this franchise they love maybe Star Wars isn't the best example because people seem to just absolutely hate everything post uh, Return of the Jedi but you get the general idea that people were just so excited for this franchise because it was allowed to lay dormant because it ended on a high note and then went into hiding for years and uh, yeah I agree I think even though it pains me to say because i love these franchises like Gears of War and Halo i think they could they could stand to benefit quite a bit from Putting them, you know, kind of away for now and focusing on some other projects for about a good decade or so. And then Dead Captain James, uh, who writes in regularly, thank you, Dead Captain James. I always appreciate your uh, your input in every episode. Comes in and kind of just to get in more in depth with this conversation. Mentions that uh, they really need to let the Coalition in 343 make a new IP and let Halo and Gears rest for eight to ten years. Exactly. I think Dead Dead Captain James has it on the, nailed it on the head here. Eight to ten years is like the sweet spot. If they can make a new frame franchise then they can alternate between making new game series and old game series that would also be great what if 343 was making halo but they were also making a brand new ip and then they could alternate between like a new halo every like five to seven years and a new whatever that other ip would be and then you just have like this these two ips that people could get really passionate about and just always this nice lengthy but deserved kind of weight in between franchises and that could absolutely work so i, I don't know i just i think that's uh <laughs> that would be a great i think that would be a great solution to the problem in terms of just making these franchises more appealing to the mainstream although again to reiterate as a diehard fan of these franchises particularly Halo I stand to benefit from them not letting Halo go Uh, but maybe maybe I'm wrong maybe Halo would be even better if it just if we just didn't get it as often as we do and then we got lethal migraine whose comments again thank you lethal migraine you've been you've been more vocal recently I do again appreciate everyone who's been writing into the show I don't think the show works without the audience's input and I want to make it I want to weave it into the show in a more organic and interesting way which I'm currently working on figuring out for this show but for now I'm just throwing these all to the begin the show but lethal migraine mentioned I'm a weird gamer I don't like console exclusives I don't like anything Sony makes uh, I'm not sure he's, I think he needs the only reason why I have a play- PlayStation is for baseball, but since the show is coming to Xbox, I don't need that anymore, and even though I have an Xbox since day one, 2001, besides Fusion Frenzy and Forza Horizon, I don't like anything they make either. I, prim- I primarily I primarily play on Xbox One X, but not exclusives. Have never understood the love for Halo or Gears of War. Well, Lethal Migraine, I appreciate you commenting on the show for you know the second or third time, but I'm going to politely ask that you never comment on the show again because your opinion is not welcome here. Just kidding, of course. I, I while I strongly disagree with you on on the uh, the love for Halo, I can give it to you on Gears just because I'm not as passionate about that one. And then you also mentioned never understanding the love for Fable, which I actually am kind of completely on board with. No disregard to to Fable. In fact, I'm not even really in a position where I can talk because I've never beaten a, Halo, a Fable game. I've only played one in two and never beaten them. And I've never played three at all, actually. But Fable is it's it's a fine game. I see why people like it in some ways. But in other ways, I just never understood the appeal. So whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, in, in general, I, I find his sentiment interesting that, you know, he plays Xbox and PlayStation, but doesn't really care for the exclusives on either console. I find that almost impossibly hard to believe just because that between the two platforms and all the various first party studios, there's such a wealth of of like diverse video games out there that I can't imagine you just don't like anything from Halo to God of War to the last of us to to blinks the time sweeper whatever what have you you know <laughs> um, but nonetheless but nonetheless that is your opinion and of course you are entitled to it and I always respect just hearing something out of the ordinary so even though I personally you know tastes are obviously subjective so you're entitled to whatever the hell you you prefer although I can't pr- possibly understand a world where you don't like anything that either Sony or Xbox makes with the exception of like MLB, Fusion Frenzy, and Forza Horizon, which by the way are all three games I like a lot, although I don't, I don't really care about Fusion Frenzy. I do find it just kind of interesting that s- someone could dislike or just not care for generally all those uh, franchises and, and IP in general, although that is really cool that you're able to maintain kind of an agnosticism as a result of that, although I'm not I guess I guess as you allude to here, there's really no reason for you to ever use a PlayStation again. I guess I mean I guess this is interesting to me just because if you if you own a PlayStation and you don't like Sony's exclusives, there's no reason to own a PlayStation because I, I get it. You know, people want to make the argument Sony has the best exclusives. Again, taste is subjective. If that's how you feel, that's how you feel. I can't argue with that, but. I think this is kind of objective truth. If you stripped away first-party exclusives, if you said, you know, Microsoft doesn't have a Forza or Halo and PlayStation doesn't have an Uncharted or a Ghost of Tsushima or or a Death Stranding or whatever, and all these games don't exist, it's just it's just two boxes, and they both play Far Cry and Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty and all the third-party games out there, and that's all they do, they're the exact same otherwise, then, I mean, Xbox is just definitively like the absolute best console because... If they both play the exact same games, then might as well go for the one that has, you know, like a great online infrastructure and great services that are reliable and speedy and not absolute trash. So, I mean, I guess that explains why you're an Xbox gamer, despite not caring about the exclusives, just because you like how Xbox Live is actually pretty great compared to PlayStation Network. I know that sounds very fanboy, and and I can't really defend myself in a way that doesn't make me look like a fanboy. But as someone who absolutely does use the PlayStation, I can't understand how anyone defends PlayStation Network as like a competent or just as equally competitive service as Xbox Live. Because, God, the PlayStation Network is just a fucking broken mess, and it's just never been good. But I, I mean, I applaud them for, for being as successful as they've been. With that service, but that's a lot of old um, tangents and by the ways and side notes. But let's jump into some uh, actual news this week, or actually, what I've been playing before we get into the news. But I'm going to skip what I've been eating because. I've been trying to eat healthy this week, so that's not fun. But yeah, what I've been playing. Uh, So this week, as I mentioned last week, you know, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, a couple of games are leaving Game Pass, and I really wanted to beat Shadow of the Tomb Raider, but I really really didn't want to pay for Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So I sat down this week and I was like, okay, I have to beat Shadow of the Tomb Raider because I'm not going to buy this game. And it uh, it was pretty good. I played it in like two days. I beat the whole thing. And... Here are the I guess I got, I want to talk about XCloud as well as the game itself. So starting with the game, I guess I totally understand why people are are kind of not so high on this game relative to the other two uh, games in the Tomb Raider reboot series. Now this one's made by IDOS Montreal instead of Crystal Dynamics so it is a different developer it's the old Tomb Raider developer not the newer one so keep in mind that's a different developer but I, I really didn't think that made make too much of a difference in terms of the moment-to-moment gameplay it doesn't so much I mean the, the f- this new reboot franchise of Tomb Raider has been pretty well established already so they're just like kind of doing taking their swing at it for the third entry I find it so weird that they hand it off to a new developer for for the third game in the series because like the way it goes is like you have the first Tomb Raider game in 2013 which is really good but not perfect then you have the Rise of the Tomb Raider in 2015 which is like I think an absolutely excellent game and then you have Shadow of the Tomb Raider which I'm like eh, it's a big step back it's it's definitely a lot of fun it's definitely worth playing start to finish the gameplay is still there Um, I definitely think the combat totally suffers because this game constantly forces you more than any of the other Tomb Raider games to be stealthy and to use your bow and arrow and it constantly takes guns away from you to the point where it's like there are cutscenes where you kill people and they hold guns to your head and then you kill them and then you ignore their guns and just keep using a bow and arrow. And it's just, it's obnoxiously like hell bent on the bow and arrow and the stealth mechanics and tries to deviate from the, the guns as almost as much as possible to the point where like you use them a little bit at the end and that's about it. So that really bothered me, but the exploration, the, the platforming, everything, the visuals are, are great in this game. I don't know how I feel about the kind of jungle, like South America setting that you go to like Mexico and Peru. So like central South America, but I, I'm not crazy about it because it seems kind of like it's treading on like really familiar territory for Tomb Raider games. I really liked the Arctic kind of look that Rise of the Tomb Raider did, but then Shadow of the Tomb Raider kind of like takes it back and presents a setting that I don't know why, but arbitrarily to me, like it kind of looks like something you would see in like a first Tomb Raider game. It looks kind of like the first in a trilogy, not the third. Um, but nonetheless, I guess that's just a kind of a personal gripe and personal taste matter. Um, but I thought Shadow of the Tomb Raider was like a fun game couple little gripes here in terms of gameplay. Uh, The story is absolutely throwaway to the point where at the end of it, I'm pretty sure the ending makes no sense, and I really didn't give a shit or care about Laura, which is a huge, you know con to a game that you're supposed to care about the character because this game, like, make make no mistake, these games, these new Tomb Raider games, they want you to care about the story. They want you to care about Laura. I just don't. I don't think they make her a compelling or, or interesting or relatable character whatsoever, and I just, I don't know. I think the these games totally fail on that front, but the games are super fun. Like I've said, these new Tomb Raider games, which are very clearly inspired by Uncharted, are much better Uncharted games than Uncharted is, but Uncharted is a much better story than Tomb Raider is, and that's, you know, that's saying a lot for Uncharted, considering Laura Croft was such a well-established and liked character before there ever was an Uncharted. And yeah, it's a definitely really fun game. If for whatever reason you haven't played it, but you're interested in it, I think it's definitely worth, you know, a weekend, eight hours to just blast through it if you don't want to do the side content. But nonetheless, it's definitely, in my opinion, the weakest of the three. But yeah, still fun overall. Now, the other reason why I bring this up is because I, I did play the game almost entirely on my Android phone through Project xCloud. In fact, I tried to make it like a mission to play it, almost entirely exclusive, except a little bit at the end there where I just put on the big screen and and kind of wrapped up for the more cinematic effect of the ending. Um, But yeah, uh, so a couple things about xCloud having now like pretty much played an entire game on it. Uh, xCloud is fantastic. I am like so blown away by how great xCloud is. Um, but having used it more extensively, there are some gripes with it and absolutely it's not a perfect service by any means. Now in terms of the 720p resolution, it doesn't matter, especially when you're on a five inch smartphone screen. It doesn't matter. The 720 does not bother you at all. Trust me, if you're getting like bogged down about how it's not streaming in 4K, then you're a fucking nerd and you're just looking for reasons to be upset. Or actually, maybe maybe xCloud's in 1080p, not 720p. I, I forget. I know it's not 4K. It's either 720 or 1080. But the point being, you know, when you're streaming on such a small screen... 720, 1080, whatever. It looks fantastic on that screen. You don't need the 4K. You're not missing much there. I thought the game looked just just great on my phone. And then the other thing is like, especially when you're playing a game like Tomb Raider, like I'm not playing like Halo multiplayer, you know? I'm just playing a single player, story-driven third-person action game where it's not as Twitch-based and, you know, it's not as precise as like an FPS. Um, but God, I mean... Like, there's, the latency thing does not exist. You, you pick the game up, and it feels a little awkward playing, you know, a big AAA game on, you know, a phone attached to a clip attached to a, a, a Xbox controller, but you you get over it so quickly. Within, like, three to five minutes, just instantly, I'm like, all right, I'm playing Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Who even cares if it's my phone or if it's a TV or whatever? And it just feels like you're playing Xbox, and it's fantastic. Once you're in the game, it feels so good, and it's such an awesome way to play games. I love the idea of, like, me being out in public and just being able to whip out an Xbox controller out of my bag and just play games for 20 minutes while I'm in a waiting room or something or while you're on a bus or a train or something and just instantly you're having that Xbox experience on the go and it's like the experience is just not compromised in terms of the resolution the streaming quality, the the latency it just, I, I didn't feel it like I'm not even, ju- I'm not just trying to de- blindly defend this, like this thing is in beta right now like this is a, this is like a, a beta for Xbox insiders to play <laughs> X Cloud and it It's an unfinished product. It's not available everywhere. There are only so many games on it. But it, it, I mean, once you're in there playing, it feels like a finished product. It's just so good. And I really think Xbox has something very special on their hands with this. And I really think once more people get this in their hands and understand how awesome it is to just have these kinds of experiences everywhere you are without the compromise of power due to a portable machine this is really gonna take off and be important and kind of critical to the Xbox brand in a in a really major way that we just I think we just keep not thinking about because more hardcore traditional gamers just don't like to think about just don't like to think about mobile gaming and, and things like that because we all like to think about gaming more as like a, a like a, a really dedicated hardcore thing where you're in front of a TV on a console or you're in front of a computer screen on a PC or something like that. But I mean this is a serious way to play games and I just don't feel like the experience is really compromised yeah sure the odd you're not looking at a massive screen and you're not having like surround sound audio or whatever but it really is all there like sitting in bed playing shadow of the tomb raider on my phone i i was having just as good a time as i was doing it on my couch so it's i, I don't know fantastic service but I will say there are some gripes, namely getting XCloud booted up and loading into a game is not quick and easy. And the, re- the thing that made me notice this is I was also playing my Switch a little bit this week. And one of the great things about the Switch that, you know, I got to give Nintendo absolute credit for is despite the OS of the Switch being so like laughably, stupidly bare bones and missing almost every modern feature you could possibly imagine. The benefit to them doing that on the Switch is that the Switch is so snappy and quick and fluid. You literally just press the power button, tap A three times, and it's like, you're in there. It's like unlocking your phone. It's just so fluid, easy, fast. So I can be playing the game on my Switch, power it down, and then just press the home button and be right back in the game in two seconds. However, that's not the case with xCloud because it is your phone at the end of the day, and you gotta launch into this app and clip your controller to this thing, to this phone, and then you gotta like load into a game, and it's gotta connect to servers, and by the time you go from like, this is my phone in my pocket that I used to check Facebook, to like, this is my video game machine that's clipped to a thing on my controller, and now I'm playing a video game, it, it's it's a lengthy process, and I think that the, the more you can reduce the time from, hey, I wanna play a game, to, hey, I'm playing a game, the better off your product's gonna be, and that's I think that's Project X Cloud's biggest setback right now is that there's definitely this long gap between like me deciding I want to play this game and me actually being in the game playing it. And if you can reduce that time to play the way the Nintendo Switch does, and I don't know how you do it, but uh, I think that will make the the service all the more enticing and all the more convenient. And that's just the one thing I experienced where I was just like, yikes, this is really rough because. I mean, again, it's it's a beta app right now. I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I can't, I can't lie, like, it would have been so much easier for me to just press, you know, turn on my Xbox and pop into Tomb Raider than it would have been for me to, you know, connect my controller to my phone, launch into the app, load up the game, you know, connect to a stream, all that stuff. It takes time and it's just not a fun and easy and quick process. I mean, it's kind of easy, but it's not quick and it's not, you know, it can you can lose the player's attention. So I definitely think that's something that needs to be rectified. And I'm sure those are things, you know, Xbox is cognizant of and working on. But I do think long term that's going to be detrimental if they can't figure that out. So nonetheless, fantastic service, but obviously plenty of room for growth and opportunity uh, just for improvement in general, which I'm sure they're working on. But anyway, that was my experience this week playing that. Other than that, I played some Fantasy Star Online 2. They did a closed beta for like almost 48 hours, not even this this weekend. And it was a lot of fun. I really don't know why I enjoyed it so much, but I did. It was really cool. And I'm I'm excited to play more of that when the open beta and then the full game launch happens later in the spring. But yeah, Fantasy Star Online 2. It's like, I don't know, the best way I could compare it to is like imagine if Monster Hunter was like not so gruelingly difficult that you wanted to quit all the time. But also, like absurdly anime, even more so than Monster Hunter already is. But, yeah, it was a ton of fun. I had a lot of I just I don't know. I, it was a, it was different. It was nice to play something different and to kind of be a part of like this really small community for a weekend that was just really excited about this thing that not a lot of people care about it was just cool to be a part of that and follow along on social media as fans were just going nuts for this game they've been waiting for for so long and uh yeah I'll, I'll be excited to play more of it later and to get more into it but I was playing just kind of solo just kind of questing and and grinding and leveling up and doing some quests here and there and it, I just had a good time the game game difficulty is not too bad uh the loot grind and all that stuff is enticing enough and there's there's even story content, which is, um, I mean, nonsensical Japanese storytelling, but it, it's fun enough to keep me coming back and wanting to play through it. So that's definitely a good game. I If you've been looking for some more Japanese content on the Xbox, that's definitely one worth looking into. And with that said, let's segue into our first news segment, our news this week, which is, of course, all about Japan. No, I mean, just the first story is at least. So let's jump into the news. <laughs> Head of Xbox Phil Spencer was recently on a new episode of Gamer Tag Radio, a podcast I've never listened to, but I'm I'm aware of. I'm sure many people think it's great. I'm sure people in this audience have probably listened to it, but I have been meaning to listen to this episode since they got Phil Spencer on. Uh, but he basically on the episode he discussed Xbox's. Xbox's place in the Japanese market. So directly pulled from WindowsCentral.com, uh, the article reads: Spencer knows uh, that Microsoft isn't doing well in Japan and wants to change that by bringing the Xbox Series X and other services to Japan when they launch worldwide. When asking if we'll ever see a first-party Japanese game from Microsoft, Spencer said that they had nothing to announce at the moment, but he knows that this is important. Could this mean that Microsoft is looking to buy a Japanese studio like from software or another one that's independent? Only time will tell. Maybe Microsoft will set up its own team that makes games. So, I mean, first of all, just to comment on this, no, there's no way in hell Microsoft's buying from software. I don't believe that for a second. I don't think from software would sell to Microsoft. They are they seem to be one of those like very Japanese studios that's like very in bed with other Japanese studios, although I guess I, I, guess that's kind of hypocritical of me to say because they have partnered with Xbox in the past, and they have partnered with Activision in the past, but I mean, they, they do most of their work, you know, for Sony and for other Japanese companies, and I just don't, I don't see it happening where Microsoft would ever potentially get a studio like from software, nor do I think they'd really be in the market for that. I don't, I think you know, despite those games being huge, I don't think uh, it looks good optically for Microsoft to buy up the, the Souls developer and then and then have them make games exclusively for Xbox hardware and, and services. However, I do think this is interesting that Spencer is always just so vocal about Xbox in Japan. I mean, I just talked about Fantasy Star Online 2, which is a game that is coming to Xbox, or it's coming to the West, really, because Phil Spencer. Because he went over there and had the conversations with Sega and, and pulled strings and made things happen. Because... I mean let's let's face it for as long as the Xbox brand has been around Japan just hasn't taken this console seriously or really given two shits about it it's just always the way it's been and and let's not forget that you know Xbox used to try harder to get Japan on board like in the OG Xbox games we had games like Phantom Dust and in the Xbox 360 days we had like Lost Planet and all these games Um, to try and, like, Blaze Blue and all these games to try to appeal to the Japanese market. And it just, like... Uh, what was the other one they there was a tales of game that was exclusive to xbox it was tales of vesperia and then eventually that would come to playstation eventually most of these games just end up coming to other places but i mean we have seen microsoft try time and time again with japan and it just always fails the console console launches always make news over here in japan because it's so laughable how few people come out for them and how poorly the console sells over there and then um you know, aside from that, we also see, we've also seen, you know, Xbox try get in bed with platinum games and, and bring Scalebound over, which was eventually canceled. But it just seems like Microsoft has a kind of a tortured history with Japan. And it's just such an interesting kind of dichotomy because obviously Microsoft is one of the biggest names in gaming these days. Uh, but really gaming as an industry as a whole really owes so much of its success and its history to Japan. I mean, uh, obviously Japanese video game makers are, are some of the most prolific Nintendo, obviously, uh, being among the top and so it's just so interesting to see that like such a massive name in in gaming uh, one of the biggest brands in gaming one of the biggest platforms for gaming just really seems to struggle when it comes to attracting the interest of the Japanese market and while I definitely applaud Phil Spencer for certainly trying and, and expressing so much enthusiasm and interest in this market I really think it's not worth it at this point I think I think three generations it has been enough to prove and I really don't think that Microsoft buying a Japanese studio or building a Japanese studio to make kick-ass Japanese games specifically for Xbox and PC is really going to make a difference. Honestly, especially with the way Xbox works nowadays, I think if Xbox, let's say Xbox builds uh, a studio, a Japanese studio like in Osaka or Tokyo or something like that, and then they say, "Hey, it's your job to," or what? They just stick it to Nintendo and building Kyoto just right next to Nintendo, just to really give them the middle finger since since they're already kind of neighbors here in the in in America. Which Seattle and, and Redmond and they might as well just make them neighbors in Japan as well but 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 let's just say Microsoft builds a Japanese studio right and they say okay you're tasked with just making whatever the hell it is you want to make and this studio that's comprised of almost entirely Japanese employees comes up with some like super nerdy ass RPG or or whatever it is that Japanese player game that Japanese players like it's some it's some game where you're like a teenager and you date girls and you go to classes and you have to keep your stamina up and eat cup ramen and all that shit. It's all that stuff people love in Final Fantasy and then, you know, it comes out and it gets like 10 out of 10 from every outlet ever and, you know, like weebs fucking go nuts for it but then what you quickly realize is the Japanese market isn't buying it. One of two things is gonna happen. Either the Japanese market's gonna neglect the game and it's gonna fall flat on its face despite critical reception. Or two, it's gonna be on Xbox because it's that's how it's gonna be on PC because that's how Xbox does gaming now. And everyone in Japan is just gonna buy it on PC and ignore Xbox. Now, of course, that that benefits Xbox because we've seen that be the thing where it's you don't wanna buy our hardware, that's fine, play Xcloud, play PC but it's not going to sell units, and I don't think it's going to get players on. Again, I just, I don't know. The way Xbox would have to get the Japanese player on board with the Xbox would be almost to entirely refocus all their energy into the Japanese market, because at this point, you know, you've got Sony and Nintendo, which are such, like, household names over in Japan, or just anywhere. I mean, in America, they are, right? But you've got names like Sony, you've got names like Nintendo, and they've, and they just embedded themselves in the culture of Japan for so long, and they've become so synonymous with, with gaming in these countries. And then you've got names like Microsoft, and they're just the outsider brand. And you think just because they have one studio putting out excellent games that people are suddenly going to start siding with Xbox or playing Xbox over PlayStation? It's just not going to happen. Uh, I mean, it's possible that you know whatever that Japanese studio that Xbox owns would make an excellent game that would sell very well on PC. But at the end of the day, the Japanese market is not going to jump over to Xbox, and I don't think it's worth fighting or trying anymore. I think it's just time to accept that that is not your market, and you got to go on and do your own thing. And if the market follows, then then so be it. Honestly, I think the best. I, I don't think any of this, whether it's Windows Central, and I love Windows Central, so no disre- no disrespect to them, but I don't think any of what this is kind of alluding to is accurate. I think Xbox's best bet for getting Japan on board with Xbox is exactly how they're doing it with Korea, which is through xCloud. Uh, the Japanese market, as I've said before on this podcast, is very heavily involved with mobile gaming. It's a very big thing over there, and I think the absolute best bet they have for getting the Japanese market on board is by making xCloud the most robust, accessible, and like, just excellent platform it can possibly be and if you can do that then maybe you can get Japanese players to start using their phones to play xCloud but in terms of selling Xbox consoles there I don't think it's gonna happen I think your best bet is PC and phone, and you're gonna do that through convenient services and through just—I don't know—I don't—I just don't know. I really am of the mind that Japan is not a market for Xbox to really waste their time focusing on. I think I think it's a lost cause no matter what they do, and they're better off just focusing in territories where there is more area of opportunity and where they're already excelling. You know, markets like the US and Europe, I mean, North America and Europe and Australia, um, because those are markets that really love Xbox and really have the potential to keep growing and growing with this brand. Whereas Japan's just proven time and time again, no matter what you do, we're just not coming for it. So I, I say, I say just make Xbox as enticing as it can be. And if the Japanese market decides to follow suit as a result of something like xCloud or PC just being so robust, then so be it. That's a great win, but don't focus your effort and attention on really trying to entice that market because I just don't think it's worth it. For example, I think games like Fantasy Star Online 2, you're not attracting the Japanese market with that. J- Japan's been playing that game uh, since 2012 when it first came out. You're bringing Fantasy Star Online 2 over to Xbox because you're going to attract the American audience that likes Japanese games. You're going to attract the weeaboos, the anime fans, the Fantasy Star fans in America. You're not going to attract, or in the West, I should say, you're. You're not going to attract a Japanese market that says oh man I've been holding out on this game for six years but now that's on Xbox I'm going to arbitrarily start playing it because that's that's not at all what that game is so I don't think there's any correlation between Spencer getting games like Fancy Star 2 online onto Xbox because again I think that's about catering to the western market that likes Japanese games rather than trying to get the west the eastern market to inherit and to adopt the Xbox brand so to speak so Uh, That was kind of a messy, choppy story, but I think you get the idea of what I'm trying to get at. Now, as for our next story, uh, this is another massive one, and it's that actually BioWare uh, general manager Casey Hudson announced this week on the official uh, BioWare blog post that Anthem will be getting a major overhaul. The main intent is to reinvent the core gameplay, as Hudson acknowledges on BioWare's blog, and he says that they need a, quote, more satisfying loot experience, better long-term progression, and more fulfilling endgame, end quote. The team will be taking the next handful of months to test and rework the gameplay mechanics while keeping the game's signature flight experience intact. Hudson points out that the team uh, didn't initially have a full chance to test and play the game properly before its initial release, but notes that this new endeavor will give them the proper time needed to procure and prepare gameplay experiences for players. Now, this is the story that like boggles my mind the absolute most. I cannot wrap my brain around this for so many reasons. So one, you've got BioWare, which is such a valuable company that's been really struggling a lot in recent years with their second studio screwing up with Mass Effect Andromeda, and then them, the core team themselves, screwing up with Anthem. And it's just time to cut your losses and move on and do the next thing focus on the next Dragon Age that you've been teasing forever. You know, just go back to what you're really, really good at. Do a fantastic next generation version of that and come out the gate swinging and kind of build some goodwill and repair your brand. But no, instead they're going to keep doubling down on Anthem which is something I just don't understand the point in doing. Uh, now, I do understand that Anthem sold extremely well and that there are a lot of people out there that have Anthem and that were burned by Anthem. But the problem is, I don't think those people are coming back to Anthem. I don't think this is a No Man's Sky situation. I don't think this is a Destiny situation. I don't don't think overhauling this game and making the gameplay go from generic and boring to like something that's really satisfying and addictive is going to get people to pick the controller up again and give the game another try I think they've moved on I don't think Anthem ever offered anything that was so innovative and so unlike anything we've ever seen before that players were initially drawn to it for this for this reason of I can't find this anywhere else I think people were into it because it looked cool at the time and then they played it and found out it wasn't cool and then they were burnt by it and they were done with it so I don't think this is like no. Sky where it's like people were disappointed in it because the promise of what the game was was so enticing that they were willing to give it another chance with with time and with um, updates and patches and such. I think it's with a game like Anthem, it's as simple as like, hey, this looter shooter kind of sucks, I'm going to go keep playing The Division or Destiny because that's a looter shooter that is not doesn't suck, that, that actually works. And so I just, it blows my mind that EA, a company as, you know, a company as big as EA is going to allow Bioware to continue to take time and money on just working on this game that just doesn't have an audience anymore. And I mean, apparently, I mean, they see numbers that I'll never see. So they must know something that I don't know. Uh, of course, they know many things that I don't know, but they, they must see something in this this franchise and this brand and this IP that that it's worth continuing to invest in. It's worth continuing to say, Bioware, I know you're working on some other games, but let's, let's kind of keep that in the background. Let's really double down on Anthem, a game that no one's buying anymore, no one cares about, that received awful reception, that just no one... No one wants to talk about or think about or play anymore, and let's just force it to be a thing anyway. I know there are games like, you know, like Destiny or like Star Wars Battlefront 2 that kind of had a bad reputation at the beginning and then really turned it around in the end. But I think with a game like Anthem, especially being, you know, we're at about a a year apart from when it initially launched. I think people are just done with this game and they're ready to just put it behind them and move on to the next thing. Yet here we are with EA saying, "Hey, we're still working on this." And and what makes all of this all the more uh, insulting is that Casey Hudson basically says in this in this article, he says, or in this blog post, he says, he says this will give the team basically the chance to really hone in on the gameplay, make sure the gameplay is fun, is is usable, and is and is something that players would want to experience, uh, which is something they didn't really have time to do the last time, it's like, what? What do? You, what were you doing all those years? You were making Anthem, if not making a fun game that people will want to come back and play time and time again. What were you making, if not a game? You know, and and he's basically admitting, like, hey, last time we put out Halo, or last time we put out Anthem, we put out this thing that was like you could fly around and you could take missions, but it wasn't really a fun game, and we didn't really have gameplay in mind. Now that we have a chance, we have the money and the time to go back and and rework it and overhaul it. We're gonna put some gameplay in there. How's that sound? It's like what why why was why was the original idea not to just build a fun game and then build everything else around that why was it let's build the shell and then hope to god players find an addictive gameplay loop within that shell we've built and it seems like that's basically what they're admitting to here which is just something so absurd i can't even believe that they'd have they'd have the balls to like come out and say that although there is something kind of respectable about that level of transparency uh, but nonetheless if if you are among the few who are just dying for Anthem to get better it seems like Bioware hasn't given up on it just yet it seems like EA hasn't given up on it just yet and that's cool for all you that feel like you were totally burned um, from buying this game that you didn't get a lot of a lot of experience and gameplay out of but I mean, it looks like it looks like the game's not over yet. So hopefully your, your $60 will be justified in the end. But yeah, that's I can't believe that's still happening. And hopefully we won't have to hear too much more about Anthem as it keeps popping up every month or so over here. Uh, but let's move on to our next story, which is probably my favorite story because it's about Halo. Uh, and this comes directly from GameSpot. It says, for Halo Infinite, the team at 343 Industries built more than a game. They also developed a brand new engine, Slipspace, which of course we all know about. Now the studio has spoken out a bit more about what the engine allows them to do and it sounds like a lot. Halo franchise director Frank O'Connor said in a video that the Slipspace engine was designed for quote, next generation game development, and also to be easier to work with. Quote, we had to create an engine that was more powerful for the next generation development but also more nimble. So the creatives and engineers were able to work more easily and iterate faster, he said. The technical groundwork is vital to build a platform for the future of Halo. Engineering director David Berger said in the video that the Slipspace engine allows the team at 343 to do more things that were not possible with the previous engine making tools. Quote, you have to make tools that allow you to make new features that weren't thought about before. You've got to give the content creators room for ideas outside of that, he said. Multiplayer director Tom French, meanwhile, said one of the benefits of the Slipspace engine is that it allows for the team to try new things out more quickly than before he says quote designers are more empowered themselves to actually tackle problem and prototype something quicker and faster than we've ever done before he says interestingly eagle-eyed fans spotted a reference to a grappling hook in this new behind the scenes video however o'connor downplayed the significance of this saying it's not necessarily a feature and that'll be and that that will be in halo infinite so this is i mean this isn't massive news to me because this is basically just them kind of reiterating on slip slipspace the engine they're working on for Halo Infinite and kind of its significance to the platform now there's a good side and a bad side to this so to start with the good side I mean, obviously, this is something they're investing a lot of money and time into, so no du- no doubt you want to make this as, as future-proof as possible and as, as easy to develop with and as usable as possible so that you can use this for future games in the franchise. This is obviously not a an engine they're using for one game, and that's it. They want to use this as the official Halo engine going forward. And you got to understand, the original Halo engine, while it's been modified many times before... It's been going for a long time, so it was time for a big update. So while the Slipspace engine, of course, you know, is awesome in that all these vague things they talk about will make it easier for developers to try new things and to, and to make games easier and to kind of make more Halo faster, smoother and better than before. Um, at the end of the day, this is more just like developer talk that kind of pertains more to them and at the end of the day, results in a better product for us, the user, but really doesn't affect us in a more direct sense of us really needing to know the ins and outs of the back end. However, what this does mean in a more negative sense is you know, Slipspace sounds like it's a really it's a really big undertaking developing this engine. And I, I often think about how excited I am for Halo Infinite, because by the time it comes out this year, it'll have been five years from Halo 5, meaning wow, they've really had a great amount of time to work on Halo 5. But then I'm reminded that Slipspace is a very ambitious engine they've been working on. So it's not like they've just been making the next Halo game for five years. They've been working on the next Halo engine along with the next Halo game. And what I worry about is while yeah, Slipspace is intended to make game developer ease game development easier more accessible for the team so they can make Halo better and, and, and deal with fewer behind-the-scenes issues and just focus more on the creative aspects of, of game development. It, I do worry that you know Halo Infinite, there's going to be this expectation that's going to be so great because there's been such a gap between Halo games, but then it comes out and we realize, oh, well, it seems like they spent a lot of years working on Slip Space and then somewhere in that they managed to make a game as well, and the game is kind of just you know par for the course or just not up to snuff with what we waited for, and I guess the only reason I really worry about this is because this is going to be a really nerdy example because I know most of you don't care about Sonic, but I'm a big fan of the Sonic the Hedgehog series, and when Sonic Unleashed, which is the best Sonic game ever, ever made, uh, came out. They developed this new engine for it called the Hedgehog Engine. It's what allows the game to run and look so crazy and be so fast and awesome like it is. It's a fantastic engine, and they used it for a couple games. Um, They used it for Colors and Sonic Generations, which is a highly regarded 3D Sonic game, but when Sonic Forces came out, which is the current generation Sonic game, it's the most recent 3D Sonic game, which is awful by the way, uh, a lot of people were speculating you know, this game is going to be awesome. It's been so long since we've had a 3D Sonic game. There's about a six year gap between 3D Sonic games and the game came out and it kind of sucked. And what we ended up real learning was that Sonic Team had actually spent more time developing this, this Hedgehog Engine 2 than they were actually making this Sonic Forces game. So Sonic Forces ended up being a really bad Sonic game, despite being in development for so long, mostly because they were working on a new engine, not a new game. And I guess that that kind of experience just burned me a little bit. And I worry about Halo thinking, well, I I hope that this long development gap between Halo 5 and Halo Infinite isn't because, you know, they were building an engine and not because they were taking their time to really make the best Halo game they can make. So I'm really hoping I'm wrong on this and that, you know, the two things are are separate from each other and that one one thing doesn't necessarily correlate with the other. Uh, But I think this is something that isn't brought up at all that we need to be cognizant of. And it's that Halo Infinite can literally just be the next Halo game. No new bells and whistles, which I don't think it is. I think it's definitely a reinvention of the brand. I think it's definitely going to be the most, the most like iterative, or the, uh, sorry, the most like next gen Halo we've ever seen, um, but it could potentially just be the next Halo because all this time they spent developing it could just be you know the setbacks due to having to build a new engine and not so much the ambition of this big new project they're working on. So just something to be mindful of. As far as the grappling hook goes, I don't even want to speculate on that. If they're going to put a grappling hook in Halo, I don't I don't even know what to think about that. I hope that's not true, but who who knows? I don't know how that would play out in Halo, and I. I just want, I just want more Halo Five to be honest. Uh, but our next story, kind of a smaller one, um, unrelated to the world of gaming. Samsung announced all their new phones this week. Uh, but then, related to the world of gaming, during that, um, Samsung's director of strategy said on stage during the revealing of these new phones uh, that the company's unpacked uh, that the company is working with Xbox on quote premium cloud-based game streaming experience uh, unquote Park, the director of strategy at Samsung, didn't offer any details, but did follow up with a statement uh, regarding the announcement, saying that that the project with X- the project they're doing with Microsoft is absolutely related to xCloud. He says, quote, We believe players around the world should have access to great, high-quality games on the devices of their choice, a spokesperson said. Uh, quote, Working with partners like Samsung is an important step in our project xCloud journey and will help make games game streaming more accessible for gamers we look forward to sharing more later this year end quote so this is a very vague kind of partnership between microsoft and samsung and to be honest with you i can't even like really creatively speculate on what this would be but i do find this interesting that you know one of the markets that X Cloud was first launched in was South Korea which is kind of an unusual market for anything Microsoft related or Xbox related rather um, but that was one of its first markets to penetrate. and I and even back then I talked about how you know the Asian market's a really important market for Microsoft to try to break into and they haven't yet because they're so mobile and PC focused uh, but xCloud's a great opportunity for Microsoft to get their brand out there and to really penetrate the Asian market um, and and You know, Samsung being a very Korean company, this makes me think, you know, maybe there was some earlier behind the scenes with Samsung, which is why we originally got xCloud in Korea, despite it being kind of an unlikely candidate for one of the early access regions. In addition to that, I mean, I can't even imagine what Samsung and Microsoft would be working on together, but... For those who know Microsoft outside of just Xbox, Samsung and Microsoft have developed kind of a good partnership in recent years, particularly with mobile. Uh, I mean, last year, Microsoft came out during the Galaxy S10 reveal or the Galaxy Note 10 whatever reveal and uh, talked about like kind of Microsoft app integration with, with Samsung and kind of how they're really focusing on making the Microsoft app experience really premiere on Samsung devices. And when Microsoft stopped making phones, they started selling Samsung phones in their Microsoft retail stores. So there's been this weird kind of growing relationship between Microsoft and Samsung for years now. Um, and and so it doesn't entirely surprise me that, that there's this kind of Xbox X cloud kind of partnership with Samsung now in development. Although, again, I'm not entirely sure really what this could what this could be if it's maybe, I don't know, maybe like craziest scenario, maybe Samsung makes a a Galaxy model that's kind of designed with gaming in mind, like a gaming model that's really designed not only with mobile gaming in mind, but xCloud particularly, and that there'd be some kind of hardware advantage to it that would make xCloud more of a premier experience on that Android phone particularly. Um, But again, I just don't... I can't really creatively think of a way in which this partnership is going to uh, impact xCloud or or gaming on mobile devices. But nonetheless, this is a partnership we should keep our eyes on because it will be interesting to see how this unfolds and develops. Now, let's kind of wrap up because this episode is running long. I do want to respect your time and not go over too much. Um, But a big one. Not too much to look into, but to just note because it is it is big news. The entire team of the upcoming uh, System Shock Three is no longer employed, as developer Other Side Entertainment uh, has announced, according to Video Games Chronicle. Um, the following. This, this article I'm pulling is from IGN. It says the following previous reports of other core members of the team announced their departure over the past five months, including the writer and director of System Shock 3, lead programmer, and others. Just this week, designer-director Chase Jones changed his LinkedIn profile to reflect the end of his time at OtherSide. So, the uh, critical... Or sorry, anonymous statements uh, note that the game was critically behind in its development, and... I mean, that's not to mention that we haven't seen progress on this game in a while, which which has been kind of, you know, was announced years ago, but it's just kind of been slow and MIA ever since. Uh, the anonymous po- poster who talked about the game being critically behind in development uh, has claimed to be a, uh, someone who worked at other side and posted that... Um, some additional background information on RPG Codex, uh, where he says they didn't actually know what's going on to the team, uh, but they know that they are no longer employed there. That a lot of people are losing their jobs there, and they uh, refrain from commenting further about the concerns uh, that, so as to not break any NDAs. Adding some more weight to these reports, uh, another community manager has confirmed the poster's comment on RPG Codex, um, saying that it appears that you know, publisher, the former publisher, Starbreeze, had its own difficult finding a new publisher when they decided to drop the game which was reported last year and that over and that saying that they wouldn't have been able to publish it themselves uh, due to some poor sales of Overkill's The Walking Dead so without a publisher of course obviously this game would be even hard to get off the ground now System Shock 3 is a game I haven't been following closely and this isn't a developer I'm terribly familiar with but I do know this is a game that System Shock fans of which there are aren't many but they are loud and passionate have been really excited about so this is massive news mostly just to those who seemingly have been laid off and are now out of work um, and then of course secondary also because this game has now uh, been obstensively cancelled or just like indefinitely delayed um, so like this is massive news for a game that we we've known about for so long but just haven't heard about in so long so of course, thoughts and everything with those who've been affected. Um, but m- most importantly, here's hoping that others in the community will do as they did, you know, when, when studios like, like telltale games, uh, fell and, and offer some, some new jobs and some new spaces, uh, in the gaming community, as this is an industry that seems to be very, you know, breakneck where people are just constantly in and out of work and jumping from project to project. So deepest condolences to everyone affected by that. And hopefully, uh, You know, there's some good news to come of this sooner rather than later, and then and now our next two stories are kind of are kind of going to go back to back. Um, and the first one is about Ubisoft, second one being about Activision. Now, Ubisoft has confirmed that five AAA games are planned for its 2020 and 2021 fiscal year, um, and that there three of them will be released by the end of this year, uh, and the other two will be released by early 2021, uh, none of which they note will be beyond Good and Evil 2, which many have been excited about forever, but is clearly pretty much just never coming out as Ubisoft kind of prematurely announced a game that they're never going to really make or finish. But during the earnings call... Ubisoft CEO Yves Gilmont said that they've evolved their original structure... In recent months, in order to strengthen the focus on high potential titles for the end of this year slash early next year, uh, during the Q and A portion of the investors call, he he followed up by confirming that at least at least three of the games will be out by the end of this year, uh, which we can you know deduct based on what we know about what's been delayed and what is on the horizon. That three or four of these of these five games are going to be uh, Watch Dogs Legion, Rainbow Six: Quarantine, God's and Monster. And then probably something like a new Assassin's Creed game, like that Vikings one that keeps leaking. Uh, Assassin's Creed games always leak so that's likely authentic and then the last one will probably be something we haven't seen already like like a Far Cry 6 or something like that but I think what's interesting about this is when you think about the timeline they're referring to which is the 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 end half of this year you know the the holiday season of 2020 and then the early time early year 2021 um, aside from that you know lining up with their fiscal year which is obviously more about investors and stocks and things like that what really makes this interesting is that this is all this also happens to be the same timeline around where ps5 and xbox series x launch so what this shows us is that ubisoft has first of all a bunch of games coming up all within a short period of time and it all seems to be around these new consoles now i'm not saying that all of these games will be next generation games but i think we'll see some of these games be kind of cross-generational as we as we see happen every generation like i could see assassin's creed being you know on xbox one and xbox series x but i can also see now, of course, all these games will play up and down the Xbox family of consoles, but I, I could also see something like, um, you know, Watch Dogs Legion, or maybe maybe more accurately, like, Rainbow Six Quarantine, maybe making that an X-Gen game, while keeping Assassin's Creed as more like a cross-generation game. So, Ubisoft has a lot of stuff coming out, and this isn't too surprising, because actually, usually whenever a new console releases, Ubisoft is one of the first at the forefront of of putting new games on new hardware uh which is actually a really smart idea because games generally sell pretty well um when a console's when there's a new console out because there aren't many games available so it's actually not a bad strategy for ubisoft to try and like kind of get a bunch of games out on the market uh when the xbox series x is new just because people will be hungry to play new games on their new hardware and there won't be that many games available because obviously since it's a brand new console the um the kind of uh, options available for a brand new console will be severely limited. Um, Of course, that changes a little bit with the Series X, seeing as everything is forwards and backwards compatible, um, but nonetheless, it is still hardware and people are going to, new hardware, and people are going to want to play the most impressive games they possibly can. Um, so we'll keep an eye out on that, but it looks like we're going to have a lot of Ubisoft games that are going to be coming out along with the Series X uh, in the coming months, at, towards the end of this year, rather. The other big investor related announcement comes from Activision, who also had an a, um, investor's call this week, where they mentioned that they had many more remasters, remastered or reimagined experiences in the works uh, beginning in 2020 um, as a result of the success of things like the Crash Bandicoot uh, remasters, Spiral of the Dragon, and the Call of Duty Modern Warfare remaster. So during the Q4 financial uh, fiscal year 2019 investors call, Activision Blizzard CEO Dennis Durkin revealed that in addition to new games and new IP, Activision will quote, continue to tap into our portfolio of beloved IP to bring several remastered games, reimagined experiences to our players in 2020. Now what we can assume this means is Likely Tony Hawk, right? So obviously, I think we're gonna get more Crash Bandicoot, no doubt, maybe more Spyro, probably at some point in the future, maybe even another Call of Duty remaster. Uh, But outside of what we've already seen, I think the IPs that they're kind of alluding to are Tony Hawk, mostly because let's be honest, Activision doesn't really have too many IP that we haven't seen in a long time that people are like kind of clamoring for a comeback of. Uh, But Tony Hawk's a tricky one because, as you may recall, they tried to make a Tony Hawk's Pro Scare 5 uh, like three or four years ago, and it was kind of awful, and it fell flat on its face, and no one cared about it. So it'll be crazy to see if they can bring Tony Hawk back in a meaningful way, maybe get a really like super AAA quality uh, (laughs) Tony Hawk game in in the works. But then again, I just I just don't know that Tony Hawk could potentially pull off, you know, what it once did, even if they can nail the gameplay. I think it's so hard with the soundtrack and the skaters these days. Because this isn't this isn't the time of skating anymore. Like people these days just don't seem to be into skating the way they once were. I don't think skate culture is really as relevant and mainstream as it as it was 15 or more years ago. Um, so it's going to be really hard to pull off a, a, a new Tony Hawk game. Although it seems like that's probably the most valuable IP they own that they just aren't using these days. Um, but I would love to see the return of the Tony Hawk games. American Wasteland is my absolute favorite. I know that's an unpopular one. Uh, But they're all fantastic. Everything up through American Wasteland at the very least. I think Project 8 is where it starts kind of losing its fun. Uh, But nonetheless, Tony Hawk was a beloved series that I'd love to see make a comeback. Other than that, some other things it could be. I mean, of course, you know, it could be something Blizzard related since Activision owns Blizzard, but Blizzard isn't fun to speculate about. It could be Guitar Hero, but I highly doubt that because they tried to bring it back a few years ago and that fell flat on its face. Um, and then the only other thing I could think of, you know, I, I, I scraped in, like the bottom of the barrel here. Uh, but if I decided to take a fun guess of something I know it won't be, but something I'd like to see it be. Um, you may recall Activision made a, a game uh, 15 years ago or so called Gun. It was like a third person Western cowboy action game. Very reminiscent of like Red Dead Revolver, the, the game that uh, preceded... Um, or the game that came out before uh, Red Dead Redemption. But I, I loved that game. I thought that game was a total blast, no pun intended. Um, and I would love to see something like that come back, although I don't know that there really is a market for that either. Uh, the closest thing you have to, like, gun these days would be, like, the Call of Juarez games, which I don't even think they make those anymore. But um, that would be <laughs> – that would just be so cool to see something like Gun come back. That was a game I really enjoyed on the OG Xbox and would like to uh, – experience kind of a modern interpretation of just a linear eight hour cowboy shooting game but I don't think you can make something like that in a world where you have like Red Dead Redemption 2 because it just looks kind of pathetic by comparison but nonetheless I'll be excited to see whatever this is Activision's working on Um, and I guess we'll learn soon because they're talking about something as early as 2020. Our final wrap-up story for the week is that 2K Games has officially announced the name of a, of the 2K Silicon Valley, a new development studio founded in 2019 by ex-Sledgehammer Games co-founder Michael Condry. Going forward, it will be called 31st Union, and the studio is already working on a new IP. Quote, 31st Union is off to an incredible start with a passionate and talented team, an international, cu- an intentional, an intention culture That champion inclusivity and greater representation, an ambitious and inspired new IP that we're extremely excited about, said Kanji in a statement. 31st Union is working on a new single IP, uh, though details haven't been revealed. Furthermore, the studio, and this is all from IGN, this this explanation here. Furthermore, the studio has announced plans to expand the second European location in Spain, saying that, quote, We believe diverse perspectives and experiences are crucial to creating truly global entertainment experiences with a deep connection to passionate fans, added Condry. The studio joins other development teams under the 2K branded, including the recently announced Cloud Chamber, which has locations in California and Canada. Other 2K teams with an international presence include Hangar 13, which now operates a third location in Brighton, UK, as well as Visual Concepts. What I found most interesting about this is that the other studio is going to be in Spain, which is Somewhere where we just don't see a lot of game devs coming from. And and I actually think this is interesting just because uh, I would love to see more games be made in, in regions where we don't normally see games come from. Just because I do kind of agree that <laughs> with most game devs being based out of California or Canada or Japan or something like that, we just keep getting kind of like this... This retreaded like story of like, I don't know, I feel like the the setting's always the same and the kind of sci-fi take is always the same in, in all these kinds of games we get these days. But I would love to see, you know, like a Spanish dev team kind of take a swing at, you know, a triple A game based on like their kind of perspective and and just kind of their their regional and country uh, specific like quirks that would just make. A game different so i just I, I don't know i think that actually sounds kind of interesting and i think a good example of when we've seen this is like cd project red who you know the developers behind the witcher 3 and cyberpunk 2077 yeah they make games that are kind of similar to like what bethesda makes but they do it in a way that's just so outrageously different and so lovable and they've found so much success with the witcher 3 in particular that it's like wow these these devs from like <laughs> these eastern european countries are just actually really killing it and we need more of that and so i just think it'd be cool to see you know obviously spain being very far away from cd project red i just think it'd be interesting to see devs from a different part of the world just kind of taking their swing at triple a games because it just seems like so many devs are from i don't know i just feel like 99% of them are from like california japan or canada and i just i'm just excited to see new devs coming from new places to see what kind of stuff they can make because sometimes it feels like the AAA space can be a little samey and so i'm just always up for something different um, so congrats to them we'll see what that new studio gets into in the following years uh, but i'm sure we're quite a ways off from learning anything and that's going to do it for this week's news uh, I'm gonna skip over kind of some other stuff just because uh, my my other smaller stories. Just because this is a really long episode, and I know listening to one guy talk to himself for over an hour can be exhausting uh, for me and for you. So let's save us all the the let's spare us all a little bit. In terms of the new games released this week, I got I gotta make mention of them just because the one time I skipped it, I felt so guilty. Uh, so there's 13 games coming out this week. We'll just blast right through them. We got AO Tennis 2, uh, which is a tennis game for golf fans. We've got Reed Remastered, which is an 8 bit game for 4 bit fans. We got Project Starship, which is a fan, it's a boating adventure. Uh, We've got Super Mega Space Blasters Special Turbo Edition, which is definitely uh, an underwater deep sea adventure to be to be had by all we've got outbreak epidemic which is definitely a game about curing disease we've got the adventures of zero zero dilly which is the dumbest name i've ever heard we've got death's gambit which is also going to be on pc so be sure to play there because that's where you're going to get the 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 highest renderings of this of this 16 bit game 16 bit game then we've got darksiders genesis which i'm actually really excited to play uh, but i don't think it's on game pass so i'm probably not going to play it for a while. And then we got Galaxy Control, which is um, like a Star Wars game where you actually control the narrative. And then we got Under Hero, which is uh, the sequel to Over Hero. Then we got Tony Stewart's Sprint Car Racing, which is a game, again, I assume it's another boating game. And then we've got Glass Masquerade 2 Illusions, which is a game about practical special effects in, in movies. Then we got Spaceland, which is. Um, an isometric puzzle looking turn based game. So fuck you, Fire Emblem. And that's going to do it for this week's 13 brand new releases. Just want to make sure everyone got a shout out. And then a reminder, of course, for Games of Gold, you got TTI All-A-Man for the rest of the month. You got Call of Cthulhu beginning on February 16th, running through March 15th. And then on the 360 side, you got Fables Heroes, which you have only until the 15th to download. So make sure you do so if you haven't. You got like a day left. And then you got Star Wars Battlefront, the OG one, which runs from February 16th to the 29th. So those are your games. As always, I appreciate you listening to the show. Please, please, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. If you're on the border of whether or not you want to leave, you know, four stars, four and a half stars, five stars, just don't even bother reviewing the show unless it's going to be five stars because right now we're sitting at a five-star average. And if you're the one who fucks that up, I'm going to find out who you are, I'm going to find out where you are, and I'm going to fuck you up. So five stars or GTFO. And with that said, Eric bb murder case please take it away with another song uh that hopefully tony will enjoy and for all of you guys uh for me or i don't really understand what people mean when they try to send off like from all of us here we'll see you next we'll see you next week everybody